so my mom actually and it was back then there was no online she actually drove to maryland got the application completed the application took my personal statement and put it in my application for maryland and about a, a week or two later i got an admission letter from maryland and i opened it and i and i thought wow i didn't even apply to this school and they and they and they accepted me what a what a crap, what a crappy school <laughs> <laughs> Again, man, shout out to your mom. Shout out to your mom. I know. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community. And we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. I'm on them band like a dad, yeah. Only do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Hey, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got the margin, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, author of Pre-Med Mondays, the author of the Dr. Doc Children's Series, and the author of Black Men and White Coats. And of course, you're listening to Black Men and White Coats, the place where Black clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. Super excited about my guy, today's guest, man. I'm going to introduce him to you here in a second. I'm super excited about it because we've actually been trying to do this one for quite some time. We have some technical difficulties, need I say. But um, before I do that, man, a lot is going on in the world of Black Men and White Coast right now. A lot is going on in our world, and I just want to let you guys know a little bit about it. Um, you know, the first thing is I woke up this morning to get an email with an article in Forbes about our documentary. So, you know, the documentary is done. We've been super excited about it. But uh, you wake up and I see an article in Forbes about the Black Men and White Coast documentary. That got me super excited. And just reminded me to just say thank you to everybody who's been supporting. Um, you know, in the next few weeks, I'm probably going to name drop um, a lot of the people who backed us from day one. We had a lot of back, you know, people from, you know, we did a Kickstarter. So I'm going to name drop a lot of those people. I'll literally just probably read their names off the list just to say thank you and let you guys know how much we appreciate you guys' support from day one. But that got me excited. Second thing I'm excited about is the summit. Black Men and White Coast Virtual Youth Summit is coming up February 13th. If you haven't registered, look down below. I'm going to put the link in there somewhere. Click on it. It's going to be a good time. We've got some good stuff planned for the kids, really to set you guys up for success. Um, eight years old and up, parents, we need we need you guys there. Um, and really set these kids up, set the pre-meds, the med students, all of us, come together, a quick Saturday event, set everybody for success, and just have community support and morale and, you know, and do this thing together. Um, to my pre-meds, I always want to invite you guys to premedmondays.com. Check it out. Every Monday night, we're getting together. We're doing coaching. So looking forward to connecting with a lot of you guys. And of course, last thing I always remind you guys to do is jump on diversemedicine.com if you're looking for a mentor, if you want to be a mentor, or just one community. Whew. All right. I try to get all that out in one breath so I can get to my guy, man, because I want to get to the show today because I've been waiting so long to do this one. My man, Dr. Brian Ega Oswala is here with us today. And, you know, the reason it's so exciting for me is because we I asked him to do this like Man, I don't even know, it might be a year ago, several, several months ago. And, you know, with doctors and things come up. Um, and he actually did. He did a great episode for us. But then we had some technical difficulties on our end. So I said, you know what? 
I'm getting them on early 2021, and we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen because I've been waiting for this one too long because we haven't had one just quite like this yet. So, my man, Dr. Brian Ego Swallow, what is up? How you doing, man? How, how are you, Dale? Thank you for having me. I'm glad we're I'm doing good, you. man. Yeah, super excited, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's taking so long to kind of swing back around and get you on, but you know, I just want to say before we get going, I, I know you're busy. Um, so I just want to say thank you for taking the time and and you know, be willing to share your story because I think your story is one that people need to hear. And I actually do get um, you know, I I get messages from people who I imagine are kind of, you know, grew up in situations like you and you're trying to figure out how to do what you did. So I know we're gonna have some people who want to hear your story today, man. Oh, absolutely. That, that's why I wanted to be on this platform to be able to share that story. All right. So okay, let's just let's jump right in. And I'm going to start with the things you and I have in common. And, you know, the, one of the main things is obviously you look at our names. It's no secret. You can clearly look at our names and tell, hey, your name's got a lot of O's and vowels. And stuff. You're probably Nigerian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're both probably Nigerian and all. And 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 that is true. So let, right off the bat, I'm, I'm going to go into something right off the bat. I'm just asking the question, why are so many Nigerians in medicine? What's up with that? It, well, you know, g- growing up Nigerian, there's only three professions you can be. It's it's doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And that's pretty <laughs> much it. I, I mean, that's pretty much what it was, was preached in my house since I was born, I think. Uh, only recently, you know, do people consider other things outside of those three things. <laughs> so what's that? What's that about? And I'll t- you know, it's funny. <laughs> All the time on my podcast, I've actually never completely told my story. But I tell you, in my household group, I never felt that pressure at all. Um, my parents would kind of recommend it. They kind of suggested and say, hey, have you thought about being... As a matter of fact, I vividly remember one night being in my parents' bedroom. I think my, my dad was asking me what I want to be. And I and I was talking about being a lawyer. And I think I think I remember him suggesting... It's funny, I said vividly. Now I'm saying I think I remember. <laughs> but <laughs> him suggesting, hey, consider being a doctor. Um, but I never felt that push, that pressure. So when you're saying only three in your household, was it really like, hey, you're going to be one of these three things? Actually, no. It, it, uh, so there was no pressure. Now, my, my father is, a, is an internist. Um, so he, you know, he went to med school in Nigeria, practiced in Nigeria for a long time. And then, of course, the economic situation there drove him to America. Anybody else who came here as an immigrant. Um, no, uh, it was my parents pushed school mostly. They pushed education. Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with that. Uh, being Nigerian is a very, it's a very big thing. Uh, they pushed education, but I really wanted to become a doctor. I would say probably age nine um, from watching TV and and literally watching the Discovery Health Channel. Uh, I thought you were going to say the Cosby Show. No, so- no, the Discovery Health. Um, and, and actually, the, the one thing I wanted to be, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. That was like my only thing um, uh, for, for the longest time. And then, you know, when I got to med school, that, that changed. But that's, that's basically, it came from a show in Discovery Health. <laughs> wow. Do you remember? So what, I'm curious to know what that particular show was that, that got that. Was it just from watching like um, multiple episodes of the show? Was it like one do you have like a specific moment you saw something on TV and you were like, wow, oh, that's what I want to do? Absolutely. So the, it was an episode with uh, Dr. Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. Um, okay. Uh, they they uh, kind of did a, uh, um, a show about him doing a craniosynostosis operation. Uh, and for those that don't. Uh, hold on. You, you got to pause and, <laughs> and uh, break that word down. <laughs> tell people what that means right there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I'm in medicine and I have to pause. And I say, okay, yeah, that's what that one was. I remember that one. <laughs> so. Absolutely. So cranial basically is um, 
certain children are born and the, and the so the different parts of the skull are made up of different bones and uh, they, they meet in parts called sutures. So in craniosynostosis, some of these children, the, the, those sutures are, are prematurely uh, formed and the, and the brain quite it is being compressed by the bones. Um, trying to simplify as much as I can. So the point of the operation basically is to allow the brain room to fit into the skull. So this operation, okay. they kind of uh, created some room for the brain, if you will. Um, okay. That's that's now what now now when when you saw the episode, did they actually show any part of the surgery? So is it like your nine year old seeing part of that, or is it just your you're hearing the story and you're featuring Ben Carson, and that's what drew it was hearing the story. They didn't actually show the surgery on on TV. I guess it for nine when I was nine years old was a, was thirty plus years ago for me. So they I don't they didn't show those kind of things on TV at the time. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> now here, let me ask a question about that. Then all right, so you said it was seeing the Ben Carson story. Now if that would have been a physician who was not a black male. Do you think you would have been drawn or no? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to say at the time, Be you know, 90 or B was just excited to see that. Um, maybe because it was the, the person who was leading the team of surgeons. He was the main guy. Um, okay. but then again, I was always curious about just medical stuff in general. Um, because I, I used to watch that show on my own volition. Uh, oh, well, wow. so it, it wasn't like, you know. It wasn't. Um, in fact, I watched that show because there was nothing else on TV at the time that I wanted to watch. That's how I ended up watching this, the Discovery Health Channel. Wow! So while I was at home watching like Andy Maniacs and uh, Pink in the Brain or something like that, you were, <laughs> you, were, you were watching Discovery Health. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, so, okay, so you're nine years old, and you get drawn into this thing. Say, hey, I see this, you know, black doctor and this cool stuff on TV. Now. What was kind of the next thing to happen in that with since your dad's an intern, I'm thinking about this, was it like, hey, dad, I want to do what you want, what you do. Or or was it just kind of you just went about doing school at nine years old? Did you have the did you have the foreknowledge to say, hey, my dad does this. Let me get some insight from him. Or was that too, too young for that? No, I, I never thought, oh, let me get some insight from my dad. I basically just told my parents I'm going to be a brain surgeon. That's 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 mm -hmm. I, I recall that conversation. I recall it wasn't even a conversation. It, I just made a statement. Um, well, you clearly failed on your goal because you did <laughs> I not know, right? <laughs> um, I, I just made a statement, yeah. and um, and I don't remember exactly what my parents said. To be honest with you, I think you know, you know, something they always used to say is just focus on focus on your goals, focus on school. They probably said something to that effect, but I don't remember specifically what they said. Yeah, but that line by itself is um, that's huge. You know that that's a huge line for a child to hear. Focus on your goals, right? Actually, both of them, right? So focus on your goals is huge. Focus on school. I'm not sure there's I'm not sure there's very many more lines. Well, there are, but not very many more lines that might be more important to drill into a child's mind than those two things. Right. I mean, there might, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, I think I have the best parents um, when it comes to uh, motivating and pushing you. Um, so, you know, my parents believe we can be whatever we want it to be. And they there was never any limiting um, of sort of our goals and dreams. Um, cause I have six brothers. So, um, six brothers. Six, yes. There's seven. seven Whoa, boys. hold on. Whoa. <laughs> and where are you? Where are you in the line of the six? I am number one. I'm the oldest one. All right. So how did, how did that, um, 
how did that influence you and impact you on your journey being the eldest of seven brothers the are there girls too or is it just i don't have any sisters no <laughs> oh my goodness what a house yeah whoa was, what kind of what kind of house we was broke that? a lot of furniture yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what's the what's what's the age span I got two boys in this house and things get crazy. Um, two boys and a girl. And things get crazy. I can't imagine six, seven boys so in the house. My youngest brother is 12 years uh, younger than me. I mean, to the point where when I was a college freshman, I used to take him to preschool because I, I went to college oh, well. from home. Yes. That's how much younger he is. <laughs> well, I mean, so but that's not so that's not that far of a spread for seven. So that means your mom was having kids every other year. Uh, on average. Unless you've got some twins or something. No, right? no twins. On average, on average, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was basically uh, 14 months, 18 months, 15 months. And then there was a there was a, a break of about three years in there. And then actually did another break of five years in there, actually. Yeah. Man, round of applause for your mom. <laughs> Shout out to your mom, man. Yeah. Goodness gracious, <laughs> she did her thing. But... All right, so you're the oldest. How, how did that, did it have any sort of impact on your desire to go into medicine? Was there this extra feeling like I have to, you know, like you said, Nigerian, a doctor, engineer, lawyer, I've got to do one of those things and be the example for the rest of my siblings since I'm the oldest. Did you feel any additive pressure? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say that I'd say there, there was some pressure to, to, um, to not, um, to not fail my brothers and then my parents, right? So I had to set the example. So in doing so, I pretty much did uh, almost everything, you know, my parents had to do, you know, my, whatever they said, it was gospel. My brothers, on the other hand, didn't always follow what they said, but I, I always did because I was number one. So it was, so I, you know, I was, I was the example. It was, well, look what your brother's doing. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. What, you know, that's how my parents would, say to my brothers um as a way to get them to focus right so, let me let me let me let me extrapolate real fast <laughs> then we'll, we'll come back here so that um as a you know you want to be the example because you're the oldest you feel like you're paving the way does that still carry on to this day for being a black man in the field of medicine you know the the weight of feeling like you need to be an example and you have to push yourself harder because what you're representing do you feel 100 percent uh because so i'm a neurolaryngologist ent um as, as it's known definition as it's known colloquially right so um i don't know if you know but there there are less than there are less than 110 practicing otolaryngologists in the usa that are black men and women wait so wait say that there's again? less than 110 yes that is correct 110 less than that licensed ents wow. in the usa that black wow I did not know that. That is amazing. Right, that's how small the number is. So I feel. Do you have Do you have it? Do you have any ideas to how many um, how many total in the ballpark? Are we talking like is that less than one percent? It, it's um. I think when I went to the academy in two thousand nine, the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery in two thousand nineteen, I believe the number of active otolaryngologist at that time was somewhere in the ballpark of five to six thousand in the country oh my goodness it's less than 110 black ones. that's Correct. crazy I, I didn't know that so yeah okay so now i definitely understand what you're saying so that's real pressure you're feeling there yeah yeah so you know the goal is to make sure that i a i, I do what i my ability 
And also not just not just there in the office, but also when I'm out and about and not at work, right? Um, to to also make sure I'm being exemplary. Tell me more about that part. So, so you feel as though when you're out and about, is it is this is it like an idea that people might recognize you and out in the public? So you can't you need to make sure that nobody sees you doing anything crazy. Or what do you mean by that? Absolutely. Cause well, people do recognize me, right? Because, because when, you know, when they, when they see me um, or I, I'm in the Costco, right. I'll have a patient from a year or two ago, literally calling my name in Costco. But of course I don't remember them because I see several, several patients. So I may not re- remember who that patient is and they'll come up and say, Hey, you did my surgery or you saw my sister, my mom, such as, you know, so on and so forth, you know, um, so being on my sort of P's and Q's, as they say, is very important because I cannot, um, I feel like I, I, I should, well, not, I mean, not just me, but in general, you should have proper decorum at all times. But I especially feel like because of this, I really cannot be seen being out of pocket, misbehaving or any of that. I mean, to me, it's important to me personally. Because I think the more people see that, um, the more positive attitude it engenders. I, that's just my mental thing. That's why I have to make sure I pay attention to what I'm doing, how I'm reacting to things and forth. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, and I think, I think we're probably on the same page now. The part, where I, the part that gets tricky for me is there was a point in time in my life I had, um, I had a coach and he would tell me, like, you know, always dress in a certain way, right? So for like during my fellowship, I wore, you know, you know, shirt, tie every day, type of stuff right. like that. You see me in public, I was, you know, down to the T. And then it got to a point where I was like, I want to dress how I want to dress. So now when you see me not at work, I'm probably going to be wearing a hoodie. I'm wearing a hoodie right, right now. You know, I, I wore a hoodie out today and I go out in public and I'm, I'm pretty much always wearing a hoodie, um, except for when it's like burning hot outside <laughs> and, you know, I'm in Texas, so it gets hot. <laughs> and, you know, for me, for me, it was this type of thing. I would say, well, what happens when people see me? And it just got to the point where like, Man, this is just this is just who I am. This is just how I dress. Um, but that's not to say that I'm still not always on 110%. You know, try my personal faith. You know, I, I'm I'm a Christian, so the, in my mind, I always have this thing in, in my mind of, hey, you know, behave um, as kind of the old WWJD braces. What would Jesus kind of behave in a way that's going to be exemplary for absolutely, people to see, right? So, so I still always do that. But then I, for for a while, I had this conflict. Like, does that mean I have to dress they dress the way that they think? Somebody who does that should dress, and, and then for me, click like I don't have to. I don't have to look a certain way, right? Is that's just the right. way it is? It's... Well, I mean, I I don't wear a shirt and tie to Costco. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> where you're white, you you in Costco wearing your white, I mean, wearing my, white my jacket with me. No, I mean, uh, like you know, uh, just t-shirt, uh, some khaki pants, jeans, what have you, sneakers, you know. Um, but but it, you know, it just has to do with just being courteous, right? Like for for example. Let's say, let's say I'm in Popeye's, for example, buying dinner and they get my order wrong, right? First problem is why do you Popeyes, man? <laughs> I, Listen, I have, no, young, I have young kids who like Popeyes. So, so there you go. Um, and, and they have a lot of, they, they run around a lot, so they'll burn off the calories. They'll be okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, like some, you know, substitute whatever place. They get your order wrong, right? Yeah. I'm not going to flip out like the person in front of me just did. Right. 
I'm just going to reach yeah. across the counter and say, hey, hey, it was supposed to be the spicy, not the mild, whatever, you know, rather yeah. than getting mad and upset. Right. Because then then you call attention to yourself. And then because I live in the community where I work, there's bound to be someone who's seen me in my office at some point in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I definitely get that. But that is, um, yeah, that, that that's interesting. I like I like that um you know that parallel between being the oldest and then that weight still carries on and man I just hope those things aren't like you know extra stressors adding years taking years off of our lives you know but okay let's hop back to to nine year old you know your oldest want to be a doctor and things um what things were important to you as a child what things did you do to keep to keep your interest in medicine you know peaked and and what were you doing to kind of stay along that journey other than just doing well in school? Were there things outside of school that were keeping that interest and making you still want that as a child? Oh, yeah. So um, so I was born in Nigeria. Right. So we moved to the United States when I I had just turned 13 and then I and we moved to Queens, New York. So so when I enrolled in school, there was a um, there was a um, it was called Health Occupation Students of America. HOSA was the was the acronym. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I joined, yeah, yeah. I joined HOSA. Um, and um, so, you know, I, you know, with all the nerds, as they used to call us back then, uh, when it, it was not cool to be smart, right? Um, I don't know how old you yeah. are, but back then, it definitely was not the cool thing to be smart, <laughs> let alone be smart and black at the same time. That was not a thing um, that that you kind of lived down with your quote unquote black friends and we can get into the details of that if you'd like to but like <clears throat> so i joined that and that kind of was a uh, you know um and i you know i was there i mean there were some black people in there but it was mostly not black um so so joining that was there so you joined this you're probably what 13, 14 i guess um, right when you came 13, 13 14, 14 somewhere in that range so, so even joining that did you join that because you felt like you needed a support since your black friends weren't supporting you and was there was it like a struggle for you to take to get the confidence to say you know what i want to be a doctor i don't care if people think it's not cool i'm going to join it did you have any personal conflict and 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 tasting your dream well, well i did right so um just to go back to a little so so my my parents were very um so growing up right things like um brand name clothing like you know nautica tommy hilfiger these things were like big around that time so you ain't no, getting no. none so of those. Exactly. Hey, I have six. Bro- I have six brothers, right? So they're not buying those things. Yeah. Like we're going to like the, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're doing thrift store and we're doing like, you know, Ames and Caldor, where like oh, yeah. you know, uh, Caldor was like the equivalent of Walmart, if you will. Um, that's where oh, our yeah. clothes came from, and shoes were from Payless. I got my first Nike shoes when I was in the, uh, I think tenth grade, tenth or eleventh grade, even. Um, other you know so so i wasn't cool to begin with um so it it was a Mm -hmm. challenge um to to be a black kid in 1993 and um and want to be in hosa yet also hang out with my black friends at the time um yeah so yeah it, it was challenging but i basically because when i got home right when i got home i lived in my when I left my house, I was in America. Um, you can, uh-huh. you can realize what that. So at at home, it was did you do your homework? You, you know, do your homework. After you do your homework, do this other uh, page of questions too. 
And we didn't watch TV until everyone did their homework, Dale. So, you know, a lot of people uh, have cartoons they used to watch growing up. I didn't watch those cartoons because by the time everyone was done with homework, Dale, it was already seven o'clock. <laughs> Getting ready for bed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that, yeah, and th- that's, so of course, like I said, as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, I can definitely relate. You know, <laughs> a home is one culture. You leave the house, it's a completely different culture. You know, yeah, I can differ. In, the, in the shoe thing, I'm with you all 100% on the shoe <laughs> thing, right? I remember growing up, everybody had, everybody trying to get the Jordans, the patent those Jordans, everything, man. I remember coming to school and had some Spaldings, yep. Hakeem Olajuwon's. Right. I was so proud of those Olajuwon's. Yep. So proud. 30, those, shoes cost, those shoes cost $34. That's right. I was so happy. And that's the number. I was so happy about it. But people were looking at my Olajuwon's and laughing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get you on the court. That's though. right. <laughs> but that's... But yeah, man. Yeah, we didn't have joy. We didn't have none of that stuff. And I still don't. Well, my wife tries to get some of my kids some of that stuff now, but I still, I'm still like, hey, we don't need to be in this name brand type of stuff. But whatever. But that, that's, you know, I really love that idea. And for the kids to listen to this podcast, I really hope you guys are hearing this, this idea of, hey, if you want something, don't let people around you slow you down from. It. That's what you want. Those, these people who are think saying it's not cool to be smart, it's not cool to chase medicine, they're not going to be here in 10, 20 years by your side. They're going to be doing their own thing. You'll be doing your own thing. So you need to do what's right for you to reach your dreams now. Absolutely. Right? It's your Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll move kind of into the colleges. But before that, I just want to kind of skip ahead and ask the question, did any of your six siblings follow your path into medicine? Yeah. So I have uh, two brothers that are dentists. Um, and I have uh, two brothers that are physicians. One's a pediatrician. The other is uh, actually in a family practice residency in Texas currently. And then I have uh, two other brothers who are not in medicine. Um, they're both in, uh, in, in tech. So if you, if you were to ask your parents now in hindsight, do they have any, um, do they have any like, do they reveal secrets? I'll tell you. So growing up, I wanted, you know, I wanted to be a ball player. I wanted to play in the NBA. So we played tons of basketball. And then, you know, year after I graduated high school and stuff, um, I remember coming up for Thanksgiving. It's probably when I was in med school or a residency. And my parents would start telling us little tactics they did to make sure we got enough of basketball to keep us engaged, but not too much where we, where we um, you know, kind of ways where they, they didn't derail us from basketball, but they were very strategic in what they did for us, right? right? So I'm curious to know, do, in talking to your parents now, did, did they reveal any of those things that they did for you guys that was – intentional and strategic that maybe you didn't notice when you were a child? Uh, so my, my parents worked hard for us to not, um, so all on, all our needs were met, right? So my parents did all they could so that we would not go out and get after school jobs. Um, so they, so to them, they felt like if you get an after school job that will give you money, a power to then want to do whatever you want to do. Also, after school job kept you from coming home. Therefore, when you're out there, you could be doing whatever, right? So they try to make sure like at whatever you need, you got, you know, it, it, may, that's, it, may, that's not be, it may not be like, it definitely was not Air Jordans. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but they finally broke and finally like we were able to get like Nike shoes and like, uh, and then we finally, rather than go into Caldor or to Walmart or Ames, we went to TJ Maxx and Ross. 
Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know all about. I know all about the Ross game, man. Well, I was good on my Ross. Give me twenty dollars. I'm coming home with the wardrobe. Exactly. I I tell you how bad it was in our household, man. Like, you know, we weren't getting those name brands, and and you know, my parents worked hard. You know, they took care of us. So we we never wanted for anything, but it was just certain stuff with just complete no goes. Like, no, like no name brands. That's not happening. So we would. I tell you, like my first Nike beanie is self stitched. We stitched on Nike beanie, you know. <laughs> I, I guess I still remember my brother stitching a Reebok logo, making a Reebok logo, and stitching a Reebok logo on, on some shoes, right? So that's 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 what was going on in our household when we were yeah. kids, man. I mean, it's I tell people this story and they laugh all the time, and they go, you know, but your dad's a doctor. I'm like, well, I don't know what that means, but there was also there are also, also seven of us, so I don't know, you know, how rich you actually think we are. <laughs> yeah. So when your dad came to America, did he? Um, so he had to take the boards and all that and began practicing well, he in America? Had to re- he had to do a residency again, right? So, I uh, mean, there's only yeah. certain countries you can come to America from and uh, be able to practice almost right away. And they're all in Europe, right? Every other place yeah. you have to redo yeah. a residency. Be- be- the standards aren't the same. Um, yeah. 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 All right, so let's hop that. So, okay, um, I w- I'm going to get to college here in a second, but in high school, what was your thing in high school? Did you have a... A thing just like your know, sport, music, reading. Like, what was your? So I, I ran track in high school, track and cross country, um, and I I did that because I I wasn't big or strong enough to do anything else. So, but I could run decently yeah. fast. So I went out for that for track, and uh, I made the team. And uh, so I, I did track, um, and cross country. So what if I could ask you, what did you learn from track that that you can bring to you know future successes? What did track teach you? Anything? To help you along oh, this journey, commitment, discipline. Track is hard. I mean, I, well, I guess every sport's hard, but like, uh, um, I mean, track is one of those things where if you take time off, it will show you that you took time off. Like, what I mean by that? Let's say, so I I ran. Um, oh, oh, my main event was the eight hundred. Um, occasionally, depending on the meet, I might run the open four hundred. But I ran everything from the eight all the way to the thirty two hundred meter. Uh, um, so I was like a versatile guy on my, on my team. Um, and if like, in uh, we would get a break between indoor and, and outdoor track, literally like two week break and you come back in the first practice and everyone's gassed. That's how much discipline track requires. You, you can't just hang out and just eat whatever you want because it, it'll make you pay when you return. Um, and that basically allowed me to be a better planner it allowed me to sort of focus and and uh, i don't want to say tunnel vision but have the most eye toward my prize if you will i mean i i you know i still i still you know did other things i didn't just study continuously um you know i went to parties just like everybody else maybe not as much as them but i still did uh, you were going to party I mean, in high school yeah parties the homecoming dance and so forth yeah, yeah i went to those <laughs> uh, you better than me. I don't think I did much. Of, well, I was just playing basketball, I guess. I didn't think anything of that stuff growing up, man. I didn't think anything of that stuff. But so I, I like what you said about you know the track helping you, you know, focus on that vision and stuff. Because I mean, it's a perfect, it's a perfect visual in my head. I'm, I'm imagining you right now just running towards your goal, right? right? So is that is that perfect, perfect vision? Just run, run, run towards your goal. Don't lose sight. You know, run for that medal the whole right. way through. All right, so college years. 
Where'd you go to college? Why'd you go to that college? Tell me about that process. So quick story. I, I so, you know, we moved to Maryland from, from New York um, when I was 15. So I went to the university of Maryland, but I, I was initially going to go to Ohio state, uh, which I got into um, because Eddie George had gone to school there. I didn't know anything about Ohio state, to be honest with you. I just applied there. I'm like, Ohio state, Eddie George running back. The dude is great. I'm going to apply to school there. So I applied to, I got into their honors program, but I didn't get any money. So when they sent their letter with the tuition number and my dad was like, yeah, you're not going to school here. Um, you have to find a different school. And I had not applied to Maryland. So my mom actually, and it was back then, there was no online. She actually drove to Maryland, got the application, completed the application, took my personal statement and put it in my application for Maryland. And about a, a week or two later, I got an admission letter from Maryland and I opened it and I, and I thought, wow, I didn't even apply to this school and they, and they, and they accepted me. What a, what a, crap, what a crappy school. <laughs> <laughs> Again, man, shout out to your mom. Shout out to your mom. I know. Moms, yeah. to the, moms and dads listen to this podcast. Do you see what you have to do for your kids sometimes, man? Yeah. So you didn't even know you didn't you didn't even know. Dude, she but she fine. had my she took my personal statement though, you know? Um because so <laughs> yeah, so my, my mom has a degree in education, so she helped to edit the personal statement. So she had a copy of it. And she put it in my in the application. Well, my the my the application she had completed for me for this school. <laughs> man, shout out to mom, man, coming through, coming through, man. Without man, without your mom, there'd be one less black ENT doc, man. <laughs> coming through for the yeah. country, man. Big up to mom. That is crazy, man. But it's, it's good, man. It's very good. It's fascinating. I got, I have a mentor, um, who's told me a very similar story to that, um, but his was his advisor advisor basically filled out his application did you know and kind of handled that he's like he didn't know what was going on i was like what i got in college yeah. what that's pretty cool man yeah it's it was great that's how it, that's literally how it, i tell that i tell people that and they go what i'm like yep that's how i went to maryland because she applied for me <laughs> <laughs> all right so so let's, let's let's hop into the college years then so you get to maryland and major off the bat is are you pre-med? Are you biology? Are you one of the people who's like engineering pre-med? So um, I, 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 my major is kind of strategic. Um, so the human genome was being, sequ- was being sequenced at the time by a company called Affymetrix in Bethesda. So I selected uh, cell biology and genetics. I didn't truly understand how difficult this major was going to be. I just picked it and just thought, all right, if I don't get into med school, I can maybe I'll just do a master's and go work for this company. Like literally that was like my, my plan. Um, so when I first got to college, so the, the high school that I graduated from um, in Prince George's County, Maryland, um, when I got to college, when I realized it actually hadn't prepared me for college at all. Oh, okay. Um, we, okay. Hold on, hold on. So we have to crack this open. Okay. Cause I, so I missed that. Cause let's, let's dive into that right there. All right, so you're in college, you show up, you're like, wow, I'm not ready for this. So tell me, what was the high school education you got like then if you weren't ready? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, here's a kid, his parents always pushing education, education, education. He's part of HOSA, and now you drop a bomb and tell me you weren't ready for college. What went wrong? Correct. So, so the school I went to in New York was much better academically in terms of rigor, challenge, but then I moved to Maryland. 
right? The school I went to in Maryland was where I spent the last two years of high school. Um, kind of the first two years of high school, you know, you're just learning civics and algebra, geometry, and so forth. So in 11th grade, you're not taking the PSAT and things like that. I think I was able to do well on the PSAT and SAT because of my new of my New York school. However, things like you know biology, physics, chemistry that I then had to sit for and take at the high school that I graduated from just was inferior when I got to college. And I did not realize that until I got there because I did well in high school. Interesting. So what do you think was, was when you say inferior, is it they weren't giving you enough homework or were you guys not being like, what makes an inferior education in that capacity? Um, I, I, I think that the, um, they didn't cover all of the curriculum that they were supposed to for us. Oh, yes, because I had, you know, a cousin of mine went to school literally down the road at a different high school uh, in PG County that had science and tech programs and things. And their experience there was a stark contrast to my experience at my school. I don't want to say the names. So let me ask you this question. You know, you're a parent now, I'm a parent. As parents, how can how can you realize when your child's school is not giving you or giving your child what he or she needs academically? You know, parents are busy. How, how, how can a parent, you know, be the one to take responsibility? And I think parents should take responsibility of it, but what tips would you have then in that situation to know, Hey, my child might not get, be ready for college. Um, you know, I, I think seeing the level of, of work that they're actually covering you know, if, if the if the county or the school boards book for this class, that textbook should be covered, in my opinion, and not just a few select chapters of the textbook. Right. Um, if 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 they're not moving along through that textbook, there's an issue in my, in my mind. And but as a as a kid in high school, I just felt like, oh, man, we only had to do four chapters. I'm going to ace the test. That's all I was focused on. I didn't realize that. This meant you aren't actually learning, you know. Hmm. Um, so, I, so as a kid, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as this is less work. Um, but as as parents, you know, keeping an eye on the, on on your children's homework, or and on the assignments and so forth, and 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 just the occasional, hey, what are you guys doing at school? I think that yeah. goes a long way because that can sort of keep you abreast of what's going on. Because obviously, at eleven. 10th, 11th, 12th graders, you're not helping them with homework anymore. They're, they're doing it pretty much. So you're just kind of peeking in to make sure things are progressing as they should. Yeah, that's good. Because yeah. I tell you, my uh, my nine-year-old now is trying to get me to help him with some of his math. And I'm like, oh, man, daddy does not remember that. <laughs> oh, listen, I have a nine-year-old as well. Let me tell you, uh, the way they're teaching multiplication and all, all these different types of math, it's, it's very <laughs> different from how we learned it. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Like, man, what happens to the basic times table? Where did that go? What is exactly. going on here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Right, so that, they, then you're in college. So what was your what was your college life like? So you know, you go there, you were strategic in, in choosing your major. What was the college life like um, in terms of you staying on track? What kind of support did you have around you? Um, you know, you're the oldest in your family, so it's right. not as if like your brothers had you to look to and say, "Hey, tell me about this pre med journey." You you may or may not have had that. You didn't have it from a brother. Did you have it in some other shape or fashion? No. 
I basically was uh, in uncharted territory. I didn't have anybody to sort of ask and say, hey, how did you do this? I basically, again, it was like, you know, when when you're home, you're in Nigeria, right? So it was basically, my parents are like, well, go in there and do it. Go in there. There's no quitting. You just figure out a way. That's kind of, you know, yeah. the, like the mantras of the Egozuala family. Figure out a way. Do it. And I... And I basically, I, I continue to persevere and, and to make things work uh, for me. And um, so the, when I first got to Maryland, I was assigned a, um, uh, Maryland assigns you a counselor, like for, for advising. Um, mm-hmm. And my first semester, uh, this advisor, um, who, I, who I respect, I still respect to this day, but, but we kind of had a falling out. But I still I still respect her and, and you see why um, the so my first semester, she had me taking uh, 11 credits, I believe it was um, because she felt like with 11 credits, I would do well in school. So the first semester went by second semester. I think I took wait, wait, what, what, what is that based on? Uh, well, <laughs> It was based on being black, Dale. <laughs> wow. That's what it was based on. I can say that. How'd now. you do it? What 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 did your high school numbers look like? Your high school grades were okay. My high school grades were excellent. I was number five in my class. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That that's right. Um, yeah. She felt like the the college load would be too much for me. I agreed. I said, okay, let's ease into it. So I took 11 credits first semester. Um, and and um, the second semester I took, uh, I think it was 13 credits. And then I did the math on how many credits you need to graduate. And I saw at this rate, it's going to take me five years to get out of this place. Hmm. So I went to her and I said, hey, next semester, which would be second year, I'm taking 17 credits because I'm not going to be sitting in college for five years. That's ridiculous. Um, I, I felt at the time. Now, <clears throat> remember I had told you that my, you know, coming out of high school, when I got to college and bio, you know, the first bio, bio 105, I felt like, wow, I didn't know anything at all. I did my whole high school education in one lecture. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I turned into a study animal because I refused to let kids from other schools, Montgomery Blair, all these other schools in Maryland show up there and beat me in the class. So you had a, you had a chip, you had a chip on your shoulder. Oh, I had a cinder block. Oh. Yes. And Dale. And that was, at, and, and that was after the first, so that, this was early, right? So, so, so that cinder block showed up early, like during your freshman year still. It showed up like week two of freshman okay. year. Well, that's good. It's better to show up then than to show up, you know, year four. Yep. Because I immediately realized, like in the first in the first lab, the first biology lab I went to, in the first chemistry lab, I realized that these people had already done these experiments at their high school, and I hadn't even done any of it. That's funny. I never thought about that. Come thinking about the high school, I don't remember. I, we had some lab stuff, but in my high school, I don't think we did too much of that that lab type of stuff. So you're saying that they got kids in schools across the country who are doing these experiments even before they get to college? Yes, sir. Yes. Huh. Yes. 
That's crazy. So, so what did your what did your counselor say when you told her you were taking the seventeen? Well, she she told me that I I probably wouldn't be able to handle it, and that was the end of our, that was the end of our relationship. <laughs> so, I, so I I want to hear the respect part. Then, what are the what are the so you should still you should always respect people, but but you know that that's just strange to me. I don't know. Somebody comes in, they've done well in high school, and well, actually, let me let me take a step back. Do you think she was right? Um. Because you, you yourself just said that you weren't prepared from your high school and that first test, you know, smacked you in the face. Yes, all true. But here's the thing, right? I, I don't believe um, in just this. Like, I felt like it was discouraging to a degree. She was she meant well. And I can understand that she meant well. But at the same time, she didn't really know me or understand that I could go to like a whole different gear. Which I did, because I didn't like I didn't like failing. Like nobody likes to get C's. Even the person that gets D's doesn't like to get D's, you know. Um, so I did not I did not enjoy that particularly at all. So my study habit changed. Um, I just became like a library rat because I had to do that. And also, I had parents at home and my brothers who. I had to make sure that I did not disappoint. I had to show a good example, not just a good example, like by, you know, I wanted to graduate well. I didn't want to just graduate, oh, thank goodness he finished. No, that wasn't my goal. Yeah. You know, let me, well, so this is a, this is such a, a prevalent story, right? And I feel like in the black physician community about advisors, not maybe being the biggest supporter or counselors, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, some of them are phenomenal, right? I can tell you I had some great ones on the way, but then it, but you know, you hear it often, often, so often about stories like exactly what you're saying that they try to hold you back in some way. What is, what's that about? Yeah. I, 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 I wish I knew Dale. I, I really wish I knew, but basically, um, you know, she thought she was doing me a favor by having me take 11 and 12 credits, but I was then going to be there for five, six years doing an undergraduate diploma. And I just was like, no, I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well, um, whether you want to or not. So I switched my advisor to a different person who had a... And, and, and you did that on your own. So you took the initiative to say, hey, I need to find what I need. Yep. To find. I went to the College of Life Sciences and I said, I want a different advisor. And they changed me to a different person who I saw then like the following week. And he had a whole 180 view of everything. Why do you think that is? Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming he's not black. No, he's not. Um, I, you know. I think he just heard my the 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 passion in my uh, in my voice and the disappointment. Um, you can probably guess the advisor that they assigned me was black. Um, you know, I mean, we went to her house for barbecues and stuff, and she was a nice person. She just she just wasn't advising me well. Um, but he just, I think, because I was so impassioned. Wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, am I, did I hear this right? Did you say your first one was black or was she not? She was black. Yes, she still is. Oh, <laughs> hold on. Now. Okay, so hold on. We're rewind. Yeah. 
Okay, so as you're telling the story, in my mind, I'm th- I'm not thinking of a black woman telling you that. So a black woman is the one that said you taking 11 credit hours, who thought you couldn't do it. Um, I, I I I don't know what she thought, but who um who suggested in some capacity to make you believe she thought that you couldn't Correct. do it. That was all a black woman. Correct. Interesting. And then you get a um, is it was it a white it was man? A white man. My my. Then you get a white man who says you can do it. Correct. Fascinating. I love Correct. that. I love that. And and that's important for people to hear too, right? Because it's easy people get into this thing, this this mindset of, oh, um, all people who aren't black are against me and all black people for me. That's not always no, the sir. case. Not always, not no, always the case. And and I don't and I also don't want to say it sounds like she probably was very much for you. She just didn't know what she what you were capable of and so it's not like she was against you by any means. Probably she was trying to help. She was, you. and that's why. And that's why yeah. I said I still respect her, even though I just did not want to go down the path she wanted me to go down. Interesting, man. I love. I love that, man. I hope, man. I hope people hear the story. I, that particular part, the whole your whole story, but that particular part, so much to be learned from that specific part right there. That's big, right there, man. That's huge. Yep. And it, it just shows you it goes both ways, like. I just stereotyped as I'm hearing your story. I'm having, I'm here. I'm having bias myself while I'm hearing your story. I'm introducing my own biases and my own stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, get a new advisor, and how did how did that turn out for you? Did that did he help you get the things you needed done? Was it was it a good move in the end? It was. A, what happened was, um, you know, so because at this point, the I had already finished my first year of college, right? So. Um, and my GPA was very good because I'd buried myself in the libraries, as I mentioned earlier. So I met with this advisor once a month. So three times in the semester, right? Each semester is three months, basically. I met with them once a month to discuss my progress. And this was on, this was, um, you were initiating these meetings. Yeah, I asked him if I could meet them and he said, sure. And I met with them uh, once a month throughout the first semester of my second year of college. Um, and, and then after, after my after my first semester of second year, then we didn't have regular, we only met once a year after that, just like every other person met their advisor once a year. So pre-meds, pre-meds who are listening, you guys, you guys need to hear that, right? It's, it's, it's your goal, it's your dream, it's, right? There are advisors there on your campus for a reason. You are allowed to ask them, can I meet with you on a regular basis? You, you, you hear this, right? So. These are the things to be doing for your own success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so so the advising and such is good. How was the and you said you, you buried yourself in the library and such, but what were the things um that got you to be successful? You know, when we talk to pre-meds, we talk about, you know, like study groups, accountability. You know, what were the key things that helped you be successful? Or were you were you somebody who could do it kind of by yourself, just studying by yourself, or did you need to create a support group of some sort? Well, so initially I didn't have a support group right? because there was a there was a sense of embarrassment not being on par with the people I was in the class with. So ah, that's fascinating. I that's fascinating. Tell me about that. I had to get myself up to par, not just up to par. There, I had to get myself above par because remember, I you know in in my school in New York, I had done well, and then I and then I arrived at the school in Maryland. I also did well, but it wasn't as challenging as the school in New York. So because it wasn't, as ch- it's, it's almost like, um, I don't know, I don't know, but your brother's younger than you, correct? Or is he older? Who's better? Uh, I'm the youngest of four. Okay. Who, 
Yeah, he's older. Okay. So so it's almost like when you play against someone on one on one, if that person plays worse than you, you kind of play down to them, if that makes sense. But if you oh, if yeah. you play tougher competition, all of a sudden you play well. So I when I think when I got to my school in Maryland, I kind of played down to the school rather than being where I was at the other school. Huh. The, that, it wasn't challenging at all. So, man, this is so. This is this is just such a such a fascinating costume to me. So you're in college, and you're being prevented. For, and it's, it's self-imposed, self-imposed um, hindrance to create a support system because you're embarrassed right. of not being up to par with them. Was it something like you didn't want to bring the group down, or it's just? You didn't feel you just didn't feel good enough to be to be in their presence. I feel like I didn't belong in the school. Ah, okay, so imposter syndrome kicking right. in here. So my, you know, I, I, I picked my major out of a catalog based on the human genome project. This and that, I selected it. Right? <laughs> so my major was cell molecular biology and genetics. How many black people you think were in that major? Oh yeah, reason why. So I felt like, my goodness, man, these people are way ahead of me. I can't be in a study group with any of these people until I can be like, until when they say a word, some random scientific word, I actually know what it means. So what, what, what would your advice be to somebody who, if you could talk to you now, right? Like you now talking to you back then, what would you tell yourself? Would you still say, hey, stay off in this corner, get up to speed, then come to practice? Or would you say, because I'm thinking about it like a basketball game, right? Like you, you brought in sports. You've got a team of people, elite basketball players, and then maybe you're not quite as good as them. Should you go to practice with them and try to get good? Or should you do the drills at home by yourself till you can get yourself to that level to come play with them? So what would you tell yourself, you know, looking back if on I it now? If I had to do it again, um, wow. So I was 17 um, at the time. <laughs> You know, at 17, it, it, it would be, honestly, it would be challenging to reach out to a classmate and say, hey, look, man, I don't understand uh, what this means or I've never heard this before. It, it was, wow, that's a tough question. I, 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 you know, huh, would I, would I do it differently? I, I, don't, I don't know because, it, because I'm thinking back to, to what it felt like to be sitting in that classroom or in the, in the lab group and people already knew stuff and you hadn't even heard of it before. So then what, then what did you, did you, did you get a tutor or did you really just do it by oh, yourself and just I, up and down and read? So I read the textbook and I read the syllabus and I read the notes and I bought Terp notes, which are like a note taking service uh, at Maryland because Maryland Terrapins, it was called Terp notes. So I would go buy these chirp notes. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't super expensive at all. So I would take them, read them, take, read my notes, and also read the textbook. That's what I was doing. I would literally, like, <laughs> when I said I was buried in the library, I literally moved in there. Wow. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess a couple a, cu- a couple points that, that I would say then to, to the listener. Um, number one is, you know, bury your head in the books, grind it out, do what you got to do, prepare yourself. It's, it's your goal. It's your responsibility. Um, number two is I, I would say ask for help. Um, 
I, I know it's hard. And I know I know that feeling is tough, especially you, know, you mentioned you were 17, which is you know rather young, right? So at 17, there's, there is going to be uh, um, a maturity type of thing you're talking about for college kids at 17. When you're 17 and you're dealing with other kids who might be 20, 21 years old, right? But I would say find a way that to ask ask for help, whether it's you know getting a tutor or something. But because because you know Brian, you probably had that inner drive and. And you had that cinder block on your shoulder, so you could push through it. But you know, working with so many pre-meds, I see pre-meds who are in maybe similar situations who who struggle to push through it by themselves. And you know, we just have to encourage them. Like you, you need a support system. You just, you know, you just Absolutely. do. Um, so I, you know, that that's tough. You know, that's for a me, real my, tough situation I felt to, like my, to be. So I felt like getting the terp, buying those chirp notes um, were. I felt like it was like, you know, this note taker was catching things I might have missed in class. So for me, it was kind of like my yeah. safety. I was like, well, if if I miss it, I didn't bother to ask the person next to me. Because I'm like, I mean, when I say like I was embarrassed to be there, I was, I mean, it's the imposter syndrome, right? I felt like, man, I, how did I even get into this school? Goodness gracious, right? So I would just buy those notes and read the notes compare them to my notes and then read the textbook. That's what I was doing just so I can like get up to speed. And then, and then it starts dawning on me that, wait a minute, I'm actually doing better than these people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there's so much we learned out of that too. Shows you that hard work, hard work will get you to where you want to be, man. Um, Let's fast forward. So tell me, so, Med school. What? Well, first of all, your MCAT. What was your MCAT story? Did you have an MCAT score story? Did you do okay? Um, I, yeah, I did okay on my MCAT. I actually don't remember my MCAT score, t- to be honest with you. Um, but my the I took the so the MCAT used to be offered in the in the spring and fall. So in in the spring of the you know so of my junior year it would have been right. So I was taking um, twenty one credits. So I I couldn't really sit for the MCAT because I couldn't study for it. You took twenty one credits. Yeah, and that, that was also that was also the year. Wow. So, um, so at, at Maryland, when I you know uh, you know organic chemistry is like the great like you know weed out course, right? So I took organic chemistry for some reason. I had an affinity for organic chemistry. Organic chemistry, yeah. <laughs> organic chemistry. Probably first, first I've heard that. It's, it, it's crazy. I had a harder time with general chemistry than with orgo. Orgo for whatever reason it's like i could see that i could see the solution i could see I, it just it just made sense um so me and a couple of the classmates we actually um petitioned the chairman of chemistry of, of the biochemistry department to become undergraduate teaching assistants for organic chemistries because a lot of the a lot of the tas um there was a language barrier with a lot of them. So people were complaining. They didn't understand the TAs and so forth. So the TA still ran the labs and still had their discussion sections. But when we were, we were granted this permission to literally teach our peers organic chemistry. So we had our own sessions once a week where people attended. And we, this is, this is after this is literally, I would go my own. Yeah. After yeah. Organic orgo was done. You had to be done with orgo one and two before you could do this. So, 
yeah, I would go to my own classes, literally, as a student, and then have my own class as a, quote-unquote, as a teaching assistant. Wow, did you get paid I for got, it? I uh, got uh, credit, like, um, one of my, yeah, one of my humanities oh, okay, nice. credits got satisfied from doing that. That's nice, man. See, that's that's another thing. A lot, a lot of what I'm hearing from your story is you're a person of initiative, right? So this is something you say, hey, this needs to be done. Let's go find a way to make this make yeah. get this done. There were six of us that did it. And we, and... What are those? What What are the other uh, ones doing now? For your so, career, did they go? Uh, the one guy. So, so Jim. Jim's a urologist. Um, I think Jenna. She. Be, I think she went to optometry school. And then I don't know what the other people did. Uh, a lot of people went to pro- like professional school, some law school after um, getting a science degree. Um, and then uh, others went to like med school, dental school, optometry school, PT school. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, let's hop into, um, hop into med school here. What was your biggest challenge in medical school? Biggest challenge in med- medical school was, uh, once again, that imposter syndrome, right? Um, I went to Jefferson Medical College. Um, I, I was in a class okay. of 250. Uh, so at the time, Jefferson was the second largest medical school class in the country, second to Medical College of Wisconsin. And there were five black people in my class, three women, two men. Two black men Correct. out of 250. Wow. Yes. So it, it felt... About right. um, so arriving there in Philly, I was just like, wow, okay, here we go again. But I had I know not to mention you you're in Philly, right? So in your mind, I'm going to yes. Philly's gonna be black people there. Yes. Yes. I was excited to be in Philly. When I got to I was excited to be at Jefferson. But you know, when you're in I mean, people know you, right? So the good thing about being one of few is people know who you are. The security guards know who you are. All the professors know who you are because it's just two of you. <laughs> and then there's only two of you in every yeah. class. But <laughs> <laughs> so they know you. Yeah. And then the bad thing about being one of the few is that, exactly. people know you. <laughs> it's, a gift, it's a gift and a curse. It goes both ways. Yep. Yep, yep. So, you know, I, I, we, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this, this just comes up on almost every episode of imposter syndrome. You know, um, and Dr. Bright, when we had him on a few weeks ago, he talked about this idea of the imposter syndrome comes back at every stage, right? So uh, my first question to you just now, but when you brought it back up, I was going to say, yeah, didn't you get over <laughs> that in undergrad? But nope, back again in med school. And I, if I ask, I would, I would, you know, I, I'd be willing to guess that probably happened again uh, in some we'll, other we'll future Don't Don't speed ahead, Dale. Don't speed ahead. So, so the imposter syndrome in medical school. Did you have any other challenges? You know, um, you know, more direct was was race ever an issue for you in, in medical school? Um, overtly, no, no. It was it was not an issue at my school. Okay. Um, overtly, whether it happened covertly, I don't know. Well, that's good. That's good. And that's you know, and that's also something to important to say right because sometimes it can we can get into this thing of people always thinking like they're they're always racial issues um where sometimes maybe it has nothing to do with race it's just it's just not a racial Absolutely. issue right um because because yeah because that's that's the case too everything everything yep. isn't a racial issue and there are a lot of students who go through 
medical school right. without racial issues. You know, that, that happens as well. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think sometimes, sometimes, you know, with, you know, with this podcast and, you know, I do all this black men and white coast stuff, every now and then I have to pause and ask myself, man, are you making people go out and look for these issues? Right. Cause I don't want to do that. Right. I want people to understand that they exist, but don't go out and create it. Uh, even you know, this documentary we put out, I, I struggle with like, like, man, should we be working with schools on these documentaries? Because I want people to start introducing things that might not be there, but I, but I want people to recognize the things Agreed. that are there. Um, and, and it's very challenging. So, all right. So, um, you want to be a neurosurgeon? Right. You're in med school. What what was it, what was the ENT draw? What led you to so, ENT and stuff? Uh, between um, my first and second year, um, I decided. So I, I had emailed this neurosurgeon uh, who came. Uh, like they, he he taught one of our neuroscience blocks. So I emailed him, um, and I said, "Hey, you know, can mm-hmm. I shadow you um, over the summer?" But, you know, this was between first and second year, so we weren't at rotations yet. So. You know, he sent me an email back. He goes, okay, yeah, email my secretary, this and that, we'll set it up, okay? So I went ahead and did it. And I used to, sh- this was before the 80-hour work week was even in a dream. I was, show- <laughs> I was showing up to the hospital at like 4.30 in the morning. Now, this is the middle of June, okay? 4.30 in the morning, and I, would, I was not leaving till about 7.30, p.m. And, um, the, and the, 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 what sort of turned me off to, to neurosurgery at the time was, you know, again, looking back, you know, at the time, I don't think I realized this was what the reason was. I was in the neuro ICU. So for anyone, the neuro ICU is for the most critical of all critical neuro patients. So it wasn't what I had seen on TV. Right. So everyone mm-hmm. was kind of like, man, why are they all on the vents? They can move. You know, this guy just had a big surgery and, and, and he still can't move. You know, what happened to the, we put them together and boom, magic, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. always then, like that in real I, life. Huh? I think I spent the last um, three days of the two weeks in spine surgery. And of course, since I'm shadowing, you know, you've got the, the, you've got the attending, you've got residents and then you've got med students and then you've got like med students actually on rotation and you've got me who's not on rotation. So I was holding the retractor pretty far from the scene if you will so it just wasn't very interesting at all that that two weeks i was like man ah this is so boring like and then like nope and like nobody nobody's getting better forget neurosurgery that was my experience and that's literally how i decided to not pursue neurosurgery (laughs) i had a very similar experience um surgery surgery was never my thing i just didn't like i couldn't stand to be in the or retracting and stuff like that but yeah, I remember my neurosurgery rotation, waking up at 2.30 in the mornings, you know, getting up to, getting into the hospital and just, just long days and standing around a little, you know, skull with a tiny opening and everybody peeking right. through the small hole and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, this is not for me. But, but, you know, literally, thank God this is for some people because, you know, yeah. that's, it's, you know, that, that's it. big exactly. time. You need that. We need that. <laughs> Is that, so not neurosurgery, so, but um, ENT. So then, you know, so second year came and then, um, you know, we started rotations, right? So I, we had surgical selectives at Jefferson. So as part of your surgery rotation, so you got the core, which is general surgery. And then you had to pick, um, I think it was a week or two weeks of surgi- surgical subspecialty. So ortho, ENT, urology, what have you. 
So I selected ENT because there were no other spots to pick, like literally by chance. I just picked it. And then when I got to my ENT rotation day, on my very first day, I still remember the name of the, and I'll drop his name because, you know, I think people should know. His name was Ryan Heffelfinger, Dr. Heffelfinger. He was a chief resident at Jefferson. There, it, was a, it was a scalp swimmer star carcinoma. On my first morning of ENT, I walk in. He injects the, the scalp and everything. And the attending is standing there. And he hands me the knife to make an incision in the scalp. Okay. So I make this incision. And the scalp begins to bleed like crazy. Okay. Because the scalp bleeds. You're freaking so out. That's what it does. Very vascular. So now it's yeah. bleeding. So now I'm looking at him. And I'm looking at the attending. like, And they're standing there just looking at me like, well, what are you going to do? So now I take a, I get a sponge and I hold, and I hold pressure and I go, well, and I hand him back the knife and he goes, well, what are you, what are you going to do? You can just let him bleed to death there. Stop the bleeding. He says to me and, and I, oh. and I, and I'm like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Like I'm holding pressure. He goes, take the cautery. So I took the cautery and he goes, you see that vessel right there? Buzz it. So I bust the vessel and I bust the other vessel and I bust the other one and I bust the other one and it stops bleeding. And I was like, man, I was like, this is cool. And it felt good. This huh? dude let me do all this. And like, <laughs> and, and basically it was that moment that I decided it was going to be ENT on that day. <laughs> yeah, man. See, that's, you know, the people you're around really in, in med school, they really can make or yeah. break what you want to go into. Right. So you fell in love with it because the Absolutely. right person gave you the right opportunity. At that very moment, I was like, Man. this is it. <laughs> Other cool thing about that is to realize I you know, I've heard a couple of people say it. Um, you know, when I was a fellow, one of my one of my attendings, I remember him saying, you know, I'm right. a, I'm a pulmonologist intensivist, so we're doing bronchoscopies and stuff. And, you know, he was he was pretty, you know, he would let me kind of get in there from an early as a young fellow and just kind of do whatever, right? Not do whatever, but you know, under supervision. And um, and I remember ask either I asked him or somebody asked him like, "Aren't you concerned that we're doing all this stuff?" And he was like, "I'm not really worried about it." You know, I'm. Um, he's spe he's speaking about himself now. He says, "I'm well trained. There's pretty much not. There's not very much you can right. do in there that I can't go in there and fix." You know, right. so it's having confidence in your practice. So it sounds like your chief knew had that same feeling. Like, like don't worry. There's nothing in there that you're gonna mess up. That right that we can't handle so it's not as if you're letting you just be a cowboy and buzz no cut, i mean do all sorts it, of crazy stuff i mean it it was it was a it was such a surreal moment for me because i'm i'm standing there like man y'all should probably take this knife real quick from me you know like because like, i did not expect that much bleeding like you know because you read about it but when you see it it's it's remarkable how much it bleeds it's 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 remarkable <laughs> you know but he was like yeah stop the bleeding you we're not gonna sit here and watch him bleed to death he just said it so casually like that and i was like okay well all right <laughs> and <laughs> speaking of bleeding i remember i remember mesco being in a, um a triple a repair aortic injury, abdominal aortic aneurysm repair um on my vascular surgery rotation and just blood like everywhere everywhere and it was late it was like nine o'clock we got called in right um i was on call and you know somebody comes in um 
And I just remember the tending in there, and I'm and I'm in there just freaking out. And the tender's like, "Damn, don't just stand there, clamp it." Damn it. And just freaking out. I'm like, "Man, y'all just y'all tripping in here, man. I'm a mess. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I, I don't know what you want me to clamp." You know? I was like, "Goodness gracious!" But it's good, man. I mean, you know, the privilege to take care of, to take care of human life as a, as a you know as a physician is awesome, and and we have good we you know we laugh and you know have good stories and such, but. Yeah, but it's, it's such a gift. All right, now I don't want to get, get us going on too long, but I I, I want to know. So, so moving into you know, so let's say you skip, so you know, um, med school, residency, all that. I want to the hardest part of the journey thereafter. What's been a challenge? Because I want I want to I want to know something that the listeners can. Um, I don't want to say expect on their journey, but or, <coughs> excuse me, I want them to have ideas as to maybe what's something. A type of thing that we experience has been a challenge and how we dealt with it, right? At different stages. Right. I try to get them at different stages since since leaving Mexico. What's been what's been that for you? So my so ENT is five years. So the first year is general surgery, and then and then four years of uh, of ENT. So my first uh, my first year of ENT, so PGY two year, um, there was a patient who we had we had done um, we had done a a neck dissection on. So neck dissection, uh, for those who don't know, basically, you typically do a neck dissection for cancer where you remove all the lymph nodes in the neck. Sometimes you remove the sternocleidomastoid muscle and the jugular vein is along with it. Um, but uh, basically, we did a cancer operation on this gentleman and this gentleman was, a, was an alcoholic. So in, from going into uh, delirium tremens, I had written, you know, orders for, you know, a banana bag and so forth. Um, well, I, I used to use a book called Surgical Recall and, uh, and, um, yeah, I and remember that book. I got my Ativan dose from that book and I miswrote the dose of the Ativan and the nurse administered that dose of Ativan and the patient died. Yes. Oh, wow. So basically, and you know, surgical residency. Now, did you did did the book have it no, wrong? Or did I, you when did I, you write when it I, wrong? When I wrote it down on the because it was um, when when I wrote it down, I put it in wrong. I miswrote it, and every check and wow. balance and missed it. Yes, the pharmacy, the nurse, everybody missed it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> And so the patient was was a patient. The patient was the not patient in, was in the ICU. The patient was on the floor or in the unit. Patient was in the ICU. Do you remember? Do you remember what um, the dose was, or do you feel comfortable saying it or no? I don't remember what the dose. I think I think he ended up getting instead of getting. Um, I think I've written. I think I I wrote for I wrote for Ativan. I think at one or two milligrams of Ativan. And he ended up getting more than exactly how much he got now, but he got a lot of Ativan to the point where that when they called me to come see him, yeah, he was a vegetable mm-hmm. because I was on I was on call, right? So, so he was so he, no, he was he, not he on didn't event. he didn't require he was only in the, in the ICU because of potential DTs. So so and and um, it, was the, okay. it was the uh, veterans hospital, so. I was covering the ICU. 
so when they called me to come see him, I got there and I was just like, what happened? And he was, he was far gone. And, you know, you know, getting, um, you know, getting, uh, was it flumazenil uh, for him and so forth? Flumazenil, right? I don't remember. I think mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. Uh, for him. Yeah. Um, it was already too late <laughs> at that point. So they, you know, we put him on the vent and everything and it, it you know, within, t- within two days he, he was gone. So how did that feel? So you, so you're a PGY2, which for the listeners, postgraduate. So two years after, this is um, like it just be it it had just begun. So this is like your first time of being an, you know, I'm interns of real doctors, but this is your first time of being a real doctor, making kind of your own real decisions, type of things of that sort. So what what was that like? I I mean, I won't tell my story because I've had a story, not to that not to that extent, but I've had a story that really. Like I have my one story in my mind for for my life like that too, and I know how it made me feel. How did that make you feel like I going didn't belong that? there? Because, because you know, yeah. um, because it's ENT um, at that time, ENT was like super competitive, right? So, you know, you like you know, other specialties people get like you know seven, 10 interviews. In ENT, you get like one or two interviews. That's like a score. That's a win, right? Um, so I'd mash into this place, you know, and I'm like trying to be the best I can be. And I was like the worst you could possibly be. You killed a person, basically. Who you were trying to help, right? Um, the message yeah, you have to I mean, tell so, the, you know, the with family? the attending and everybody, um, you know, we had a family meeting and to withdraw, take him off the vent because. He... So they, we just, we drew, we drew him from life support and he, and he passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, residency was not a very nurturing place. So basically, um, and my program wasn't the most nurturing program either it was quite the malignant place so it was very the the remainder of my time in residency became a uh it became a i need to get out of this place wow so then that just makes stress it was it was it was continuous stress because so to this day this patient I have never forgotten this patient. And even when I prescribe narcotics, which I write for a lot, I'm very careful when I write those. So I guess it, it did change. It did obviously change what I do. So I'm like super conservative in everything I do because of it. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, there was no like, there was no city, there was no one sat me and said, hey, Oh, don't worry about it. Here's my story. Here's this and that. Uh, you know, when I was a resident, when I was a, came in attending, this happened. That did not happen in my residency program. No one ever took me aside to 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 do any of that. So I I did I sort of went through all of it on my own. And just for the listeners to understand, like, 
so in medicine, these things, you know, this this is part of the risk. You when you get admitted to the hospital, you sign off documents saying, "Hey, we understand this is medicine. It's not perfect. Things happen, right?" So, you know, any most seasoned doctors are going to have a story of some adverse event that has happened somewhere along the journey because medicine's challenging, and you're learning. And like I said, I have the one thing, and 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 I'll tell my story on the podcast one time. But I remember the one time where something like that's happened to me. Um, you know, in our case, we follow the guidelines and everything like that, but I still felt like I could have done more. And it, it sticks with you and it haunts you. But, you know, I just want the listeners to understand that, you know, what you're saying, nobody sat down and talked to you about it. You know, when these things happen, don't think that it's just you, right? Because, you know, the, the best of the best, these things have happened to them. That, and that's what makes you good. Like you said, it made you a better doctor. It's oh, unfortunate. And I'm sure you wish day. it didn't happen, of course. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, but in this, but then what can you what can you do about it? And what doesn't you can't do anything about it after the fact, except for try to honor right. that individual by being better, right? Which became like my mission. You know, that became my that became my mission. That kind of became like a, you know, almost like a Nintendo block, if you will. <laughs> be, be, yeah, uh, well, now you I got mean, two, the, man. Your shoulders getting kind of heavy now. In college, it got smaller. Then in med school, it got bigger again. Then it got smaller. And then it got bigger again. You know, um, every stage it kind of changed, um, but that imposter syndrome remained. It, you know, it just it, it kept resurfacing, right? Because again, I'm in a place where there's not many. Actually, true story. If I can, if I can take a little time to tell you this, so when I'm, so when I masked yeah, yeah, ENT, yeah. um, my classmate, my residency classmate, um, who to UConn for med school, there was this thing called Otomatch for like ENT people, and he matched, so he got my information from Otomatch, and he contacted me, and um, we decided to meet in Baltimore because I, I did my residency at uh, Maryland Medical System. We decided to meet in the lobby of the hospital in June, just before residency began. You know, I told him what I was going to wear. He told me what he was going to wear. I walk into the lobby, right? And I see a person sitting there. And I, and I think to myself, no, nah, that can't be him, right? And that person who was sitting there locks eyes with me. He didn't get up. So he picks up his phone and he calls me. My phone rings and I look over at him and I'm like, oh, that's the dude. Would you now? Could you guess what ethnicity that person was? Uh, he was nah, black. It gives me. Let me hear it. Yeah, I know. There has never. Oh, there has so, wow. so that's that was a first for University of Maryland two black people in the class. The whole it's a class of two. There's only there's only two spaces, and they got two black people. Yes, and two black men. Uh, that had no. Has that ever happened? Has that has happened, happened since? since or no? I don't think it happened before that. And so, I mean, th just think about it. Out of out of all the black ENT residents in the country that year, you guys probably had Correct. a significant percentage so, of them. Yep. And and you know, and the, the, the reason I tell that story is I tell that story. I mean, you had mentioned like the, the you had asked me the race question that both of us had a bias against our own selves. That he, I saw him wearing exactly. You told me he was going to be wearing. And I saw him and I didn't, I was God, that's not him. And he saw me and he didn't think it was me either. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard, I guess, because like you said, you it's not expected. It's a stereotype. You don't expect to see another, you know, you don't expect to see another black man in the right coat, let alone. It was E&T surprising to him right? and to me. So, and, you know, I'm not going to say what, I'll try to, I'll clean it up. Like, literally, we were like, you know, WTF, are you serious? That's that's yeah. literally what we said at the same time. Yeah. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> huh? Are you guys still um, buddies to this day? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I just I, we just texted buddies, back and forth this morning. To this day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what happens. Small circle. You gotta, you know, you form form your form your network and keep it tight for your support through the. I mean, yeah. and you guys will be buddies for your rest yeah. of your careers probably. Yeah. Well, hey, I, let, let's go ahead and bring this home. But I want to ask you a few questions um, for each level of what would you what would you tell somebody? So, all right. So for the elementary through high school kids, listen to this episode. What what is your feedback for them? My what, feedback what are your for them wise is pay attention in school. Just just pay attention in school and do the schoolwork because I, the schoolwork will sharpen your mind. All right, excellent. For the for the college, college students, student, you have to be your own advocate. I mean, the college is going to assign you advisors. That's great. The advisors would advise you. It is up to you to then make the decision that you believe will work well for you and how you work. Because if so, I mean, I could have just gone along blindly, taken twelve credits. It would have taken me five years to finish college. I didn't want to do five years. So. And then for for the so, uh, for the medical um, student and medical resident. student in residency, finding a mentor is uh, I think is huge um, because we had a new attending join out join come to our program when I was a PGY three maybe late PGY three early PGY four. Um, I think that person is the reason why I don't have an anxiety disorder. Because he was very, very um, instrumental in making me the surgeon I am today, in his approach, in his preparation, in his, in his demeanor, everything, in like in, in in not losing his temper in the operating room when things go sideways, in everything. And he was from outside, you know. Excellent, wonderful, wonderful. Join, join the program. Excellent, wonderful. Dr. Brian Ego Swalla, thank you so very much for finally making yeah. us to the Black Men and White Coast podcast. It's been a long time coming, but I'm so happy that we made it happen. Man, so many, so many jewels in this story. You know, so many, so many ways I could sum it up. But for me, it keeps on coming back to this idea of you're somebody who takes initiative for your own success. And I hope that's the message. I hope people listen to this episode realize that they have to take initiative for their own success. So to the listeners, thank you guys so very much for hanging with us and hearing these great stories. We really do our best to make this episode so you guys can hear the journeys and learn from them and share them with other people. So I always have to ask you guys to please subscribe, leave a rating if you like what we're doing. Um, pre-meds, check out premedmondays.com, diversemedicine.com. Um, Dr. Ego Swaller, I don't know if you're big on social media, if you want to drop any, uh, any yeah, handles. I, mean, I have an Instagram account. It's... Uh... Uh, e e ENT doc at, at, at Waldorf ENT doc. Um, 
it's a ha- hashtag. It's my Instagram handle. Um, yeah, but that's the only social media that I do. <laughs> One final thank you to our guest, Dr. Brian Eagle Oswala. Thank you so very much for joining us today. To all the listeners, you guys know we're so grateful to have you listen to our podcast. We take a lot of time to do our best to get them right for you, and we hope that you guys are enjoying them. So again, please do subscribe. Uh, please do share with your friends. Check out diversemedicine.com for the pre-meds, premedmondays.com. Looking forward to seeing you guys next time. Love you. Ooh. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Only do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Ay, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got them options, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a